For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hi, this is Jack Vinson, and you're listening to the Agile Uprising Podcast. Greetings and welcome to another edition of the Agile Uprising Podcast. I am your host, Jay Hersko. Joined with me, I have uh, a bunch of irregular regulars on this uh, windy Black Friday. I have Mr. Mike Cadell coming in from Georgia. Correct. Howdy, y'all. Jonathan Schneider coming in from North Carolina. Yeah, hey. Joel Zinestone from the Windy City. Zinestone, but close enough. Zinestone. Ah, I got close. Yeah, <laughs> you know, you have, you have vowels and I can't even say it right. What does that, what does that speak for me? Um, and we may have an <laughs> unindicted co-conspirator on the line as well who cannot speak, who shall remain nameless. Uh, so this is another unscripted episode. Uh, we haven't done one of these in quite a while. I believe the last time we did this was a year ago where we talked about business agility. But for this episode, uh, we're going to be discussing an article that was just released by the Scrum Alliance, which was titled How to Measure Effective Agile Coaching. I forgot who it was that threw this in our Discord group, but it started a whole bunch of conversation. And we decided that, hey, if everybody's just sitting around on this Friday, not working, let's get together and, and bounce some ideas around. So the author, I believe, is Jesse Fuel. He's a, a agile coach, agile practitioner. I think he's written a book or two. Um, and he talks a lot about how do we actually measure coaching, right? How to, and, and this conversation has come up. I know I've had this conversation with John. I've had this conversation with Mike as well. Uh, how do you validate the expense that comes with agile coaching, right? Because it's, it's kind of loose and kind of, kind of, um, uh, more art and science. So I'm going to start with you, Mike, because I think you were the one that actually posted this into the discord group. So what were your thoughts on the article? And then what are your thoughts in the aggregate? I thought the article was thought-provoking. It put voice to um, how my personal uh, thought journey on this topic has evolved. Because I used to think in some of the ways that this article suggests maybe are not quite so healthy. Um, So at the end of the day, I think he gets to a decent um, conclusion given the hypothesis but I'll offer, and I think this may come up in the Discord chat this morning. I think the fundamental question might need to be rephrased or be better reframed. And then in, uh, as opposed to measuring the <clears throat> value of agile coaching, uh, we're, we're here to help the organization get to a different place. So, um, Maybe we should not worry about measuring the individual contributor, but rather be more worried about the um, the larger um, initiative, the larger uh, picture. Um, that could have you know some downsides, but um, it's kind of like: Do you go to the um, defensive line coach on a football team and say, "What's your ROI?" Do you go to an individual line manager 
in an organization and say, what's the ROI on your salary? Uh, you know, maybe you do, maybe you don't. I don't know, but I think it, it, it's certainly thought-provoking. What do you think, John? So I'll start by saying it, the beginning of the article, if I were to actually just go in sequential order of how it breaks it down to where it says it's official, we don't agree. And then it quickly goes into simply put agile coaches. We aren't measured consistently. We have had so many conversations and content on podcasts in the past on just simply what they're called and what they're supposed to do isn't consistent, let alone how to measure what the role is. We have people that are scrum masters and coaches, and then we have people that are team coaches and program coaches and product coaches and technically, and it's fine to have all these distinctions and different variables of what what coaching they need, but it goes back and just further complicates how do we measure them because now the role is just spanning off into so many different areas. It makes it even more complex. So yeah, agile coaching is in itself having a complicated time on how to measure it. Now you have all these other roles and other things popping up. In addition to what Mike was saying too, it gets interesting when you start, I, I, first of all, the article itself, fantastic. I, like when we start actually getting into the meats of it, um, it is it is saying what needs to be said. I think the interesting part about it is um, going back to the analogy Mike was using, right? Um, would you go to a specific you know, line coach or wide receiver coach or any type of specific coach on a sporting team that actually has a more component function, if you want to call it that for coaching, it's almost more complex than that because it's almost like if your coaches, the coaches in a sport team are more like servant leaders. And then if you were struggling to have good players that were, you know, digesting the playbook effectively or trying to understand uh, better their teammates, that's where you would actually bring in yet another person that would be a coach, like in our terms, what we call a coach to then start to help. Well, what's really going on here? Um, it, so I'll, I'll pause there because it, it, this is going to be an awesome conversation, but that's my thought so far. Joel, what were your thoughts? So, so for me, I, I thought it was, uh, it was definitely thought provoking, definitely, uh, definitely spot on in terms of where the industry is, but I'd, I'd like to, uh, I'd like to take a second and, and read to you guys something I, I just Googled really quickly and I'm going to. Uh, I'm going to strip out uh, some of the language that's going to that'll like make you understand where it's coming from. But uh, this is not related to agile. This is not related to what we do. But I think it's it's telling. Um, technical and political issues have contributed to the limited use of measures in public reports. Technical challenges include the difficulty of constructing valid measures with data generated from small populations, data sources that are not comprehensive information systems that are not standardized. Political issues include the wariness of stakeholders, a lack of consensus about which measures are appropriate for reporting to uh, customers. Sounds pretty much like what we're talking about, right? Yep. Well, can we guess where that's from? Can we guess? Can we guess? Sure, go ahead. I think it has something to do with COVID data. That's going to be my guess. That was my guess too. You're not far off. But it, this is on an article titled, Why Measuring Physician Quality is Challenging. Mm. So, so to me, what it brought to mind is that, uh, that the, the types of issues we're struggling with here are the same types of issues that we struggle with in a lot of other industries, like physicians, where, yes, um, they're not responsible for the outcomes. 
our doctors or are mostly not responsible. If, if we're eating junk food every day, it doesn't matter how good our doctor is. <laughs> They're not going to, until we decide to change, we're going to still have diabetes and, and have all the effects, right? Um, but, but there is an element of quality of physician there and influence and influencing that change with patients, uh, as well as prescribing the right uh, science-based uh, methods of, of getting better right? And I think one of the things that we struggle with in coaching that can and should be measured is making sure that our prescriptions are data-backed, uh, science-backed, and, and well-studied and, and empirical, right? Um, a lot of times we, we, get out of, um, we get out of outcome-based measurements by saying, well, this stuff is different than all, everybody else's stuff, right? Uh, yeah. and I think it ends up being a little bit of a of a cop out. Not that you guys know me. I'm not like a scrum is the silver bullet to everything guy. <laughs> like I'm I'm kind of the opposite, right? Right. But at the same safe token, is the silver bullet. We know that. But carry on. Well, well, right. But but I think um, I think that if we were to, as an industry, step back and really focus on um, on empirically studying the different methods, what scenarios make them successful, what don't, and, and really come to some data, scientific method, uh, double blind study type of, of conclusions with things, then I think we could start holding ourselves to more, uh, more measurable outcomes, right? No, I, have I, the don't, data. I don't disagree, but we have to dig into, remember the spirit of the art. I think everything you're saying is spot on, but we have to be very specific about the data you're talking about, about what we're trying to extrapolate. Uh, because if we go back to the headline that I'm sure a lot of us align on, which is too many coaches or coaching investments that are expected to have an ROI. And in the article, it has that example with the CTO right. and CEO, like it's spot on, right? Everybody has yeah. seen that where coaches and everybody that's, you know, you're hired in or a group's brought in because there's an ROI expectation where there's the moving the needle of some type of outcome outputs that a coach is somehow accountable for or a consulting engagement that involves coaching because that's the mud of the money's going, right? That's the investment and investment should have this ROI. So going back to what you were saying, we have to measure and make sure everything's backed by scientific data and analysis. I would agree with that. The interesting part is, is we have to make sure that the data, okay, did the process improve or not? That's irrelevant, right? To your point, did they improve or not? It's more around how did the person respond to the coaching of how we should be improving? Like that's the data point. So it's, well, it's, it's a completely different. And, and obviously the data point of it's, it's not that we'd want to ignore did the outcome was successful or not, because that's good data still, right? So, right. but it's interesting because it's still valid data. It's just not primary data. <laughs> so, well, I mean, we have to make sure that people aren't peddling. Um, and I'm probably going to offend some people who listen to this and I'm sorry in advance, but we, we got to make sure that we're not peddling um, uh, like uh, essential oils to treat cancer, you know, and that's the sort of stuff that, that I'm talking about when I say database stuff, yeah. like, or a database decisions and, and prescriptions, we, we, it's not necessarily that we have to be measured on whether they were successful or not. But if, uh, if, I'm, if I'm a physician trying to treat cancer, if I tell you to go walk in a circle five times and, and say kumbaya and you'll be cured, then, then that's complete BS, right? 
um, compared to go get chemo, uh, go get radiation or whatever the appropriate yeah. treatment is. It's, it's less about did they survive or not and more about did I as a physician prescribe the correct course of treatment for it according to the science, not according to whatever the flavor yeah. of the day is, right? So, <laughs> or or so po let me possibly instead of the be correct, maybe a reasonable and valid yes, absolutely. course of treatment. Absolutely. Mm. There, there are more many, than one. many diseases where there's multiple right. different but ways. <clears throat> that actually ties into the point that I was that that jumped out at me in the first big header was as agile, simply put, as agile coaches, we aren't measured consistently, right? And that ties to the oh, we're not like every other company. Our problems are blah 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 blah. And when you look at that in the aggregate, yeah, everybody says they're unique, but at the end of the day, they're all kind of the same. And I honestly think this is a bit of a concern for what we do. This is how we earn our living, right? I'm not trying to. I'm not trying to shoot the golden goose because believe me, it's not always golden. Um, but the lack of consistency about how to even conceptualize assessing a coach right? Um, across industry, right? Because I mean, how long has after coaching been a thing? A decade? 12 years? Give or take? Right? I mean, Agile's been around for 20, but it's not like there's been coaches for 20. Like it took a don't, while for it to, to don't tell the uh, Don't okay. tell the people writing uh, the job descriptions out there who want to coach with their experience. Oh <laughs> yeah. Or like nine years of scrum master experience, please, please. Um, but I think, so I, that's the first thing that jumped out at me, right? Cause there is no consistency and not to say that we need to, to steal a bushism, consistify everything. But again, if you're making this investment and all of us come from a, a breadth of companies in different industries, right. Who are, which are totally different, but they all kind of have the same end result in mind. It's this vent, this, this mythic creature of agility. So you would think that somewhere there would be some at least common agreement, at least conceptual in theory, right? Mike, what are you saying? Um, to get to a common agreement of how to measure what an agile coach does, it might be helpful to have a common understanding of what an agile coach does. Because there is a wide array of things being uh, put forth as this is agile coaching and a wide array of people with experience or skills or not, as it may be, that put themselves forward as agile coaching. No kidding. I saw a, um, a job description sometime in the last couple of weeks titled for <clears throat> agile coach. And when you dug into the meat of the description, they wanted somebody to execute test cases. Um, so a mm. bit of an extreme example, granted, but uh, the inconsistency is exacerbated by inconsistency in measuring um, the, or understanding. I, I, wouldn't even, I shouldn't even say measuring, understanding and perceiving the, the effectiveness and the value of an agile approach is exacerbated by the wide array of expectations of an agile coach. So, so Mike, when, when you look at that, because um, because I think you're onto something there. Uh, but but when when we dig back into the history of of any given industry and the leaders that that emerge out of it, do you think that other industries, other types of coaches, other roles like this maybe went through kind of the same evolution in, in their first couple of decades? Uh, don't know. Could be. I hadn't really given any thought or 
So I want to I want to say yes, but the word coach was never brought up, which actually eliminated the ambiguity of it. Um, what I mean by that is, is like we've had other roles come in that were accountable for going back to the example here, like when they said, hey, you're accountable for organizational results. There have been roles that come in that have that accountability. Um, so when you come in, uh, hey, I can improve your organization by optimizing your processes or leaning out things or doing continuous improvement. Those roles have existed for quite some time. And yes, there are people that specialize in that. That is very different than coaching. I mean, that, and I think that's where the word coach started to make things ambiguous because people just associated anything continuous improvement with coaching. Yes. And that's not true. Like, yeah. or maybe it is true, but like, it's like the domain area of coaching targets a different way than, you know, just generic mm -hmm. continuous improvement to what most people are used to, which is process, right? This is people improvement, not process improvement. And I think that that brings up a very valid point of the, um, you know, we're talking about we're not measured consistently because I think the role isn't even defined consistently. I think it was either whoever just said that, you know, coaches do 8,000 things. You could be called an agile coach, but you could be actually teaching technical practices. You could be called an agile coach, but you could actually be, you know, generating state reports for a, a value management office. That's a whole a other trainer. episode we're going to have, right? Or even yeah. you're just a coach, but you're literally just running agile training classes. And the, there's it's a blessing and a curse to have a nebulous job description like Right, because now, if you now, the company I'm in, we have probably close to sixty coaches, and no two are exactly alike. No two do the exact same kind of thing. Their job descriptions can be wholly different. Now, if, if our friends at Safe are listening, please don't take this as a prompt to go and define and uh, and lock down what natural coaches. Please don't do that. <laughs> I, I, I just. Go on, I John. There's, I think there's something we could like. It's, <clears throat> to your point, it's a blessing and a curse, and I think that's why it's had. We've had wild success with coaching too. So I don't want to always harp on the bad and like, yeah, it's always been a lot of training. And we we all know people that have come in and had, or it's either ourselves or people that have come in and truly came in and said, "Look, I'm here to help you and the people and shape your mindset on how you're approaching work." And my outcome is purely based off whether you are getting value out of how I'm talking and working with you. Like that, that approach is very different than, all right, show me with how you work today. What's not working? What's ineffective? Where are you slowing down? Like doing that lean optimization process. It's funny how it's, we get very um, drawn into the consultancy hat very quickly as a coach. And I think that's where it gets very ambiguous. Because in order for us to effectively coach people, what do we have to do? Understand them and empathize. Well, how do we do that? Well, how do you work? What do you do? And we yep. immediately put on this consultant hat of like, well, I have to understand your processes and what you do and how you operate. And I think that's why it maybe gets muddled very quickly with the role. And I think that leads right into the, <clears throat> the crux of this article, which I think a lot of us were nodding along as we were reading, which is the header of avoid measuring coaching success by organizational results. <clears throat> And the example that's given, there's a couple of examples. Shout out to Jesse, who did a really great job. The example is, um, say a team doubles its quality scores over a year, right? Or a team doubles its delivery, right? Is that really a benefit of coaching? Well, maybe, but it's also in the article, the, the part he makes that I thought was really interesting where he said, consider the budget approvals required for aut automation infrastructure, right? So it's not just the coach. 
it's the coach working with the leaders, working with the teams, working with all these people. It's, I hate to use this term, here we go. It's a complex adaptive system. And you can't boil it down to say, oh, Joel. Joel is the reason why we're successful because it is partly Joel, but it's also the manager making the term. It's the team opening their eyes to working in a new way. So it's not as simple to do a correlation causation analysis and say, okay, well, we hired Mike and our velocity went through the roof. So Mike is obviously the answer. Now, I mean, good for Mike because he can then turn around and sell that to, you know, his next client for triple the rate. But at the same time, it's like, come on, really? It's not just me. It's everyone. All right, all right James. Let- we can double the last in one uh, sprint. It's easy. <laughs> Going to zero. So, plus two. I have to use your example real quick because I'm just based on what you're saying, Jay, it's hilarious. Uh, imagine um, a, a patient comes in, right? And, you know, they're, they're eating junk food all day. They have diabetes and stuff. And maybe the patient or the, the doctor or the physician actually gives them a way to at least like start solving it and feel better. And then all of a sudden this person not only feels better, but like starts working out now can run marathons. That's just indicative of that person and what they decide to do with right. being on leave. Now, do the same exact thing to another person. They're going to be like, oh, I feel so much better. Now I can watch Netflix for a longer time and not feel bad. Like everyone's going to take that differently, right? And the same applies when you unlock managers and leaders' potential. Some use it for good and some don't. And like that shouldn't be on a coach, though, how will they use that valuable information. That's where it's interesting. And to your point, right? And I know Joel's going to nod along with this because Joel and I have had this conversation where you could do the most like amazing coach. You can turn into Coach K, cross with uh, Bill Parcells or whomever, right? Right? And you can turn into the most, you can turn in the most amazing, amazing coaching experience of your life. And the person on the other end could listen and go, thanks. And then do the exact opposite, right? And then it's like, well, okay, you made that choice. You know, I'm not perfect, but I kind of think I know what I'm doing here. And is that necessarily your fault? I mean, you know, so, so, but, but I think, I think what you're, what you're getting at there. And and of course I was nodding along 100%. um, But I think what you're getting there is that sometimes there are uh, other variables in the mix that uh, that determine the success of coaching that has nothing to do with the quality of coach or to restate it differently, the quality of your coaching uh, and, and thus the measurements of it may actually be dependent on the chemistry that you have with the people you're coaching, right? At which point in time, you could be a great coach, like say, Jay, you and me, you, maybe you're a fantastic coach for me, but a terrible coach for John. Yes, right. Yes. And if yes. you get stuck coaching John, you, your <laughs> measurements, anything that they try to measure, regardless, like satisfaction of John, um, su- successful outcomes could all be in the toilet and have nothing to do with the quality of coach that you are and have everything to do with the chemistry between you and John. Whereas place you with me and all of a sudden, very true. It's fantastic. Right. Very true. So, so I think in some ways we, it, it, in the measurement conversation, we have to get back to the lead like a gardener, not a commander type of, of scenario where we put even we even put coaches in the places where they're going to be successful with the, the chemistry between them and the people around them. Right. Just like we do with doctors. If uh, mm-hmm. if I'm seeing a therapist and there's no chemistry there, then then it's not going to work out. It has nothing to do with the quality of the therapist, you know. Now, if that doc, if that therapist has no uh, 
no chemistry with anyone, then maybe they're just a shitty therapist, right? But, but it, just because they don't have chemistry with me doesn't mean that they're a bad therapist, right? Hey, so you when you talk a, about, go on, go on, Joe, Joe, when you talk about chemistry between two people, could you elaborate a bit on what that chemistry is? How yeah, so, so I think, um, so in, in my experience, there are, uh, it, there are some people who I sit down to coach that I know within minutes that um, it doesn't matter what I tell them. It doesn't matter what, um, what uh, the, the quality of coaching I can give them. I'm not the right fit for them. Sometimes it's a, I don't speak their language type of deal. Like uh, maybe uh, I don't come from a technical background and they really need somebody who can, and can speak technicalese with them, right? Or, um, or other times it's just a, a personality fit, you know, where, where our personalities just don't gel well with each other or I irritate them or something like that, where could we get past it? Maybe, right? But the, the fit, the, uh, that je ne sais quoi is just, just not there in that particular case. In other cases, you, you, I will sit down with somebody and know within the first 30 seconds that, that not only is it, is it going to go well, but they're going to be, they're going to become friends of mine. You know, like it, it, it's at the end of the day, all coaching is predicated on relationship and relationship is inherently soft skills and inherently, uh, inherently chemistry based right <laughs> it's so all personality it's all personality and yeah. how you talk to people and, and you so know, how do you measure personality and how do you measure that soft skill connection you can't, you, you can't right and that's the hard part right like mike could like i could hire mike to coach joel and like you said joel mike could be an amazing coach i interview him and every he hits every he ticks every box but then you and him are like oil and water you know, and those yep. are one of those things where you can't predict that. The only way you know is if is if you and, try. And to go back to the article real quick, when it does, first of all, it was a really great recommendation. Oh, Let me absolutely. start off by saying that. Yeah. The, yeah. the CSAT, CSAT and NPS and SCS, like all of those measurement suggestions, that's fantastic. Yes, I would definitely say that's probably one of the better recommendations I've heard for how to measure. But it goes back to exactly what you were just saying, Joel, where – uh, and, and he even says it in the article perfectly, like, all right, if you all of a sudden asked everybody to score and people were like, ah, I didn't really hit the mark with that coach, but like, I don't want to make any confrontation. I don't want to make have anyone come back to me and ask more questions. So I'm just going to write him. He did good, even though he didn't really do good. That's a big thing in corporate companies where they just avoid confrontation. So they're like, I'm just going to give him a good score because he's just at least doing his job. And they said this this survey was um, anonymous, but I don't think it's anonymous. And I don't want to get in trouble when I say that this yep. guy's a dope. So, yep, yep. I have heard that numerous times. Yep. But, but it, the measurements are great, like what he suggests is, I, or what he suggests. The qualitative, I think, is even more important. But that's what I wanted to ask Mike, Joel, and you guys, like, like the qualitative side is definitely interesting. Like what was most helpful about working with your coach? What are your coach's key strengths? Once again, it falls into the same pitfalls and traps, but I mean, this all goes back to almost the Chick-fil-A model. Like, you know, just, just be overly energetic and extroverted and no matter who you engage and try to be overly happy and then just try to please everybody. I feel like that's how coaches just have to approach everything. Otherwise, good luck. Like, so, except pleasing one, everybody. Yeah. Don't, well, don't, don't one, try to please everybody. 
one real challenge with that approach, and, and you guys know me, I, I can play my own devil's advocate nine times out of 10, right? One big challenge uh, that, that that kind of approach has, though, and when we focus, we, we have to focus and, and balance between um, the qualitative and the quantitative, because when you focus only on the qualitative, then you leave a lot of room for unconscious bias and, uh, and other True. sorts of societal ills that we want to try to avoid, right? Um, like, just to, just to throw it out there, if, uh, if we were to survey, if we had 10 completely equal coaches in every respect other than uh, their gender and, uh, and skin color, and we went into an organization and just went solely for performance based off of MPS, and that organization struggled with something like unconscious bias, we could get a very actually incorrect uh, sort of a view of the quality of coaches uh, solely because of that, right? So, so you do have to balance between the, the balance out the qualitative with something a little bit uh, more uh quantitative right and i think that's where that that physician model of not just how they made you feel but also did they prescribe the correct courses of treatment sort of start to to come in right i mean i, I the qualitative the quantitative i think they're good conversations i think like everything else show me a metric show me a question and i'll find a way to to, to rejigger it i'll find a way to manipulate it right most people Right. I'll do the minimum amount of work necessary to get the results that I need. You know, I will I will send this survey back to keep my boss off my back. I'm going to answer and say Joel does OK, because I don't want to be truthful and say he's terrible or be truthful and say he's great. Um, I think maybe, you know, maybe we start maybe as an industry, we need to start back at square one and really define what the hell is an agile coach. Yeah. What so, do you, what, what, what does an agile coach do? Or maybe, you know, I hate, you know, you're not supposed to try and prove a negative, but what does it an agile coach do? If the person, if you do X, you're not doing coaching. And even that, I hate that long. because it, it gets, it gets, again, I, I'm putting everything back into a binary, which I hate because I know life is all about the grays, but at the same time, I think, I don't know, maybe, maybe, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, so uh, let, me, I, let me say this one sentence that I, I have to throw this out there to everybody just to see it's in it's in the um, uh, scoring and, and, and how to actually measure coaches that he suggests the sentence that he has here is agile coaches have a professional obligation to role model the growth mindset they are fostering in others. That is very well said, but yeah. when you really think about it. What's the best way? Remember, agile coaches are usually under pressure in their companies to deliver results. This is my counter, because I agree with the statements, but here's where the, the practicality comes in of what happens in companies. Yes, they have a professional obligation to role model the growth mindset. Sometimes that's a very time-inducive thing, and it takes a lot of effort as a coach, and it, you, know, you have to be patient. Well, what's the number one thing most companies don't have? Patience. So what do you do usually when you have to show and be a role model of a growth mindset? Oh, I'm going to coach this manager on how to be a better effective person to roll out scrum among their team. No, I'm just going to train them. I'm just going to tell them what to do. That's faster, right? You also touch on an interesting theory that I have. It's been bouncing around in my head, but I'm too hyperactive to sit down and author it. I am of the opinion 
that you should never have one single coach working in any in any particular team train or environment. It always needs to be paired. And here's why. Joel and I, let's personally, Joel and I get along, right? And maybe you would think, oh, because Jay and Joel get along, they're going to be kind of the same coach. We'll hire them together. They'll do the same things. I think any pairing of coaches worth their weight, right, are going to quickly diverge because each person is going to have certain things that they are more comfortable in to use the Lisa Adkins, you know, coaching hats stuff, right? Some of us lay in different places than others. And it's very, very hard because I keep going back to, um, Joel's statement of, well, maybe you just don't get along with that person, right? Because let's be honest with you, you shouldn't really love your coach all the time. Mike Cattell is the guy who's coming up and saying, well, you need to be doing unit testing. And every time Mike says that, you're going to get mad because you don't want to do unit testing. And the question is, well, is Mike right? And if you come to me, if, if Joel and I are paired up and I tell Mike to do unit testing and Mike doesn't want to do unit testing and he goes to Joel and he goes, yo, what's Jay's problem? Every time he comes to me, he's talking about unit testing. Joel, who's a good coach, is going to look at Mike and say, but is he right though? Like, why does he keep telling you to do unit testing? And then maybe those two people, you know, could, could plant it, right? Because some people just don't want to hear it. They just don't want to hear it. If you like your coach all the time, I, I, maybe they're not pushing you enough. I don't know. Yeah. So Jay, um, along those lines, uh, the, um, as you were talking, I was going, uh, flashing back to a conversation I had earlier this week. And with two people in a coaching role with the same small group of people. Uh, I've asked, asked this question as a devil's advocate kind of question. Um, how would that affect the relationships that um, form and the trust, developing the trust that's necessary to be an effective coach? Well, you, if you're paired? Yes. So the people that you're working with, the people that you're coaching, uh, how will how would having a pair of coaches affect the way the relationships between the coaches and the coaches develop? And interesting question. The, the relationship that I'm thinking of really is the, the the trust and the confidence that must exist to have a productive coaching relationship my so, opinion you're, no you're right you're right you, somebody, we may be solving one problem and introducing another what do you think well, joel well so so i think i think that's an interesting question but i i, I like going back and and jay and, and john will will tell you that that i one of my obsessions right now is uh, comparing what we do to to doctors and physicians because i think it provides a really good pattern for this and it provides a good pattern for that scenario too when uh, when somebody gets diagnosed with cancer, the very first thing that they do is they go and get a second opinion. That's that's standard, um, and it's it's not a big deal, right? Uh, doctors aren't offended. It doesn't it doesn't change the uh, the dynamic or the lack of trust, right? But when when you're given something that is very serious and and really um, not just elicit some emotional responses, but has an existential threat to you. The first thing that you do is is make sure that that doctor isn't isn't wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think we can use that kind of same standard here, where whether it's cancer or whatever else, um, if I don't like what my doctor said, I can go to another doctor and ask for a second opinion and. Nine times out of 10, if they're looking at the same data that that other doctor did, they're going to say, yeah, that doctor's right. 
<laughs> you know, yeah. that's what that's what would be indicated. Not always. But it, it, you know. you're, you're right. I mean, does this mean when my wife tells me I'm an idiot, I should tell her I would need a second opinion? <laughs> um, but no, you're, you're right, though. There, I do think, but now Mike's got me, my brain spinning out where maybe you introduce new opportunity with parent coaching, but you also introduce new, it be, it's the divorced parent syndrome. Dad won't let me do this, but mom will. So I know if I don't want to, if Mike doesn't want to hear about unit testing, he's not going to go to coach Jay. He's going to go to coach Joel because coach Joel isn't going to say, Hey, did you start that unit testing yet? Which is, that's going to be the first so thing out of my I, mouth. I think this brings up the question you brought up though on like, Hey, well, what is an agile coach and what is it not? Well, let's apply the same analogy to what Joel just said, right? What is a doctor and what is not a doctor? You could argue like a doc, like if you need medical help, there is probably a type of doctor that can help you, but not all doctors are created equal. So that's right. why the cancer thing yeah. is perfect analogy because your doctor would probably be like, your like initial primary care physicians probably just be like, yeah, that probably doesn't seem good. And there's indications of this. You need to go to a specialist that actually understands this. Right. And organizations, if a like enterprise coach or someone who's really good, that's your primary coach says, yeah, I have a hunch on what to do. What do you think they're going to do? They're going to pressure that person. Well, I already paid you. So you have to solve it. It's like, but, well, I'm not but really in fairness, <laughs> we, we do that same sort of thing to doctors. I mean, uh, I, I know from my, my, uh, my family members who are a little bit up there in age who only will trust their lifelong personal physician. Right. And they don't want to go to see a specialist because that's not the person they yeah. have the trust in. Right. So I that's think true. We, that's true. what we're struggling with here, we already have a pattern to follow. But what we don't like and what our industry doesn't like is the amount of, uh, of oversight and, and the amount of required work to be legitimate in that sort of paradigm. Right. Because doctors, can't just call themselves a doctor. Well, they can a chiropractor, but that's beside the point, right? But but you actually have to put in a lot of work. You have to prove that that you are uh, legitimate in order to get certified as a doctor. And uh, on top of that, you're expected to um, have some responsibility and not just ethical, but legal and monetary responsibility for not giving people not harming people, right? And I think that's kind of the piece that that we're missing. We've existed for 12 years in this land where we can do whatever the whatever the hell we want, right? <laughs> and we're struggling with how to uh, how to how to measure when really I think what we're trying to figure out is how do we determine when uh, when we've screwed up bad enough that we're responsible for the bad stuff that happened, right? <laughs> Coaching malpractice <laughs> insurance coming soon from Agile Uprising. Um, <laughs> but, but you're right though, Joel, and what you may be thinking, you know, your, 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 uh, your analogy to doctors, right? Like if you put the four of us and, and our unindicted co-conspirator in a room, right? And we all badge ourselves as coaches, right? That's what all of our LinkedIn profiles say. Um, all, each one of us has a different, speciality each one of us there's certain things that we do better like joel does things certain things better than john who does certain things better than me and i just sort things better than mike who does certain things better than our unindicted co-conspirator so on and so forth right so maybe now that i'm being philosophical here maybe some of the problem is we use the word coaching too loosely it means too yeah. many things you want to talk about semantic diffusion 
right? It means too many things to too many people because so, I know some coaches who, who call themselves coaches who are some of the best classroom trainers I have ever been through. Like they are amazing trainers and they've had kind of middling success when it comes to actually working with a value stream or a trainer or a portfolio or whatnot, right? right? So maybe they shouldn't be a coach. Maybe they should be an agile so, trainer. You know what I mean? Like, but then- yeah. How, then now we're now we're balkanizing our 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 um our industry. You know we're leading to balkanization. There's going to be eight thousand different descriptors about what we do. The pay scales are going to wildly fluctuate, and everything's going to get screwed. It it is, but I think I, I think when we when we look at that, that is very likely the next evolution of where we go, whether we want to or not. Right? I mean, we, we, there's before this settles into equilibrium, I think we're going to have uh, we're going to have the the different um, like the safes classifying their own sets of classifications and the scrums classifying their own sets of classifications of what coaches are. And then I think probably another 10, 20 years down the road, it'll finally settle and standardize and and we'll have we'll have kind of industry standards in place. But the next probably 10 years are going to be a battle for who gets to decide what that what that standard is, right? You're right. You know, and you may, and again, the doctor analogy holds water because you everybody goes through the medical school the same way. They do the rotations the same way. Then they pick what they're going to specialize in. And yep. maybe I want to specialize in just facilitation, or maybe somebody else wants to specialize in just training. I, I think. I think you're right. I think there's a definition, but there's also the removal of the stigma that comes with that definition. And look, it's so I, you know, I have to nobody, go on nobody. This. I have to keep going on this analogy because it's hilarious, but Joel, dude, it's spot on because how many, what's the biggest thing that's been happening in the uh, industry too, with people self-diagnosed now a lot, because information is just like crazily available to people. And honestly, what do you think is happening in the agile community and and, and companies now that there's an abundant source of information? They're like, Oh, yes. well, we can read all these articles and blogs, and we can even get, use Gartner and Forrester information. I, I read the can- Kanban. Oh my God. I read John. the Kanban. I want the Kanban. I saw this thing about the Kanban, and I need the Kanban. No, no, no. <laughs> Guys, it gets even worse. We've got a bunch of people running around calling them co- themselves coaches because they read WebMD. Right. <laughs> Web yes. right. That's where I was going with it. Like, people read a bunch of this information and go, oh, yeah, I can help people. I can read up on this. So I think, and once again, that happens in the medical industry, like people do do that. So, um, yep. I mean, how many people have family members are like, oh, I used to have the same thing and I read it online and I researched a ton. This is what you should do. That happens a ton too. And then they start to basically be a social media medical advisor. And like the same thing happens in the agile community. People yep. start to label themselves as a coach and give a lot of advice. And to be fair, some of those people, very good. It's maybe the one percenters. And then you have the mass other adoption. And so the one thing that's really interesting about this that we won't have enough time to get into is, well, are certifications helping or hurting this? Because I don't know, it's, and I don't know a lot of mainstream certifications that people know and are tried and true and that you see in job descriptions that people expect to have. They're not really oriented to the discussion we're having on how coaches are measured. So, so here, look, taking it back to that analogy of, of doctors here, what we have in the industry today is big pharma pumping out the certifications for, for doctors, right? Uh, we have the safes who have a, have a prescription regimen with, with everything along those lines, right? And we have the scrums, we have the Kanbans, which are all 
uh, therapeutic methodologies in, in our world, right? Um, that are actually um, that are actually producing doctors and saying that they're doctors. What we don't have, and where I think the the paths diverge, is we don't have uh, groups of people who are dedicated to the study of the craft without regard to, or study of the science without regard to uh, to where it came from or or whatnot. Right? We don't have the academics. The um, <laughs> the people who are doing the double blind, triple blind studies on this stuff, right? Yeah, not quite to that level of rigor, but I offer the opinion that the curricula created by the folks at IC Agile are a substantial step in that dire- in the right direction. Yes, yeah. I would agree yeah. with you there. Yeah, that's about well, as I close as we're gonna get, yeah. Go And go a step further, um, and once again, not enough time to probably discuss this, but there's a lot of good academic human psychology and things that are that probably do apply, but we just haven't connected the dots yet on what how it applies in like the corporate world and the company because they're motivated differently, minds are different, but there is a lot of good academia things going on in research. Yeah, I think it's there needs to be a balance between theory and practice. It's the academia versus the application, right? So what's the old saying? Um, theory without practice is wasteful. Practice without theory is expensive. And I, I think I think where we ended up in the, and not to take us on a t- uh, tangent, but I think where we ended up in the agile world is basically the equivalent of iTunes, right? It used to be that everything was iTunes. All your music, everybody bought everything through iTunes, right? You stream music, it was through iTunes. And that was the one. The analogy to what we do was the PMP. You either were, you weren't. It was very binary. Everybody was a project manager. Everybody wanted to be a project manager because they saw it paid. And then what happened? Uh, iTunes got all the record labels wary. So now we have the complete balkanization of streaming services. There's Hulu, there's Peacock, there's Netflix, there's this, there's that, there's everything, right? Same thing with Agile. We have Scrum Alliance, Agile Alliance, Scale Agile, Scrum at Scale, blah, 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 Scrum.org, Scrum.net, whatever. It's all over the place. So I think we we kind of did ourselves a disservice. I'm not saying it wasn't necessary, but now you've, to your point, where we've created this wariness, right? Where there are some people yeah. who do enjoy, uh, I, I've, and I will I will admit this, you know, I have been on interviews and I have a shit ton of Agile certs. I'm like freaking Sonic the Hedgehog. If I hit a rock, it's not rings that come flying out, it's Agile certs, right? And I've had to say this in multiple interviews that, you know, I'm not running around trying to collect them all. It's not Pokemon to me. I'm legitimately curious on what else is out there because I guarantee you the problem I have, somebody else has found a new way to solve it. So I just want to learn what's out there. But that could also be, it's a blessing and a curse, right? It's a blessing and a curse. So we're, we're at like the 45-minute mark, and I know um, <laughs> this was an, an impromptu. So let's just go around the horn real quick. We are going to link to the article. Shout out to Jesse. If you, Jesse, if you're listening and you want to come on, please let us know. We'd love to have you on. I'm going to go with final thoughts, and I'm going to start with you, Mike. <clears throat> the, there's a line in this article that really resonated for me, and that was, I'll, I'll read this as my final thought. Put another way, agile coaches are not the source of agility. They are merely an amplifier of the leaders and the and employees who build their own agility. Agile coaches are not the heroes of the story. The leaders and the teams they coach are the heroes. That really resonated for me. Well said. I like that a lot. Like that a lot. Joel? Yeah, so so I think uh, the the more we've talked, I think the that application of of doctors and how we measure doctors and how we measure our health professionals becomes really relatable to this. But I want to leave us with this thought, and that is 
can we get the industry here? Because if we do, if we go in this direction in our thoughts and conversations, then each of us has to confront the idea that when we draw a line in the sand around what an agile coach is or isn't, we may not be on the side of the line that we want to be. And that is a very, very true. vulnerable, very vulnerable thought to have, right? Very true. Yeah. Very true. I mean, that's that's the whole question of, you know, how much of this is how much of this agile stuff is self-service because we're all consultants trying to sell our wares. That's a different, that's a whole different conversation for a whole other time. So um let's wrap it up real quickly. I want to thank Mike, uh, Joel, and John Crap, for John. taking uh for taking time out of their busy Black Friday. Uh, to have this conversation. I hope all you listeners enjoyed it. Again, it was unscripted. We really went in with no notes and we kind of just went where the conversation took you. So if you liked it and you want to hear more of this, please hop into Discord and let us know. We would love to hear more from you. Um, yeah, we got a Discord and a Patreon and all this sort of stuff, blah, 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 blah. So wrapping it up real quickly, I want to thank everyone for listening. On behalf of everyone on the panel, we want to thank you for tuning in again. And until next time, this is the Agile Uprising Podcast signing out. At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.